Hey, welcome. This is Pastor Tyler Whitcomb. I just want to say on behalf of the leadership of Fos Church, we are so glad that you're checking out the Fos Church podcast. At Fos, we believe in the authority of God's word and the ability it has through the power of the Holy Spirit to change the hearts of mankind and to mold and shape its readers into the image of Christ. And so we pray that these messages would do just that that you would hear God's word and be changed by it. Lastly, our encouragement is, if you do not belong to a local Bible-believing church, that you would do so, because a podcast will never allow you to serve the purpose that God has called you into belonging to the church. Well, welcome back, church. Uh, happy Sunday to all of you. Uh, excited to be diving into the word of God with you this morning. Um, last week, we had... Father Reverend Bishop Jim Thompson uh, delivering our Mother's Day message. Um, and, you know, if he just sounded really off, give him some grace. The man turns 80 years old today. So, um, you know, the fact that he can still get up and give a message is quite, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, regardless of what he said. <laughs> but wish him a happy birthday today if you see him around. Um, uh, yeah, a few days ago, my, my niece was born, um, Joanna uh, Ruth Whitcomb. And while um, uh, I was talking with my brother yesterday, he, he did say, hey, if you want this one to like you, because my nephew doesn't like me, um, he says, if you want this one to like you, you know, maybe don't be mean. And I guess when he was first born, I called him Meatball a couple times from the stage Apparently, you shouldn't call a girl that, so uh, I will not call my niece a meatball. Uh, but uh, yeah, if you um, have Facebook, you can add my brother and, and see all the pictures and all that. It's, she's really beautiful. Um, so those are a couple quick updates, uh, and, and now we're jumping back into the series. We're jumping back into First Samuel. Um, we are, uh, we're definitely on the back half now. I know, I know we've been in for a while, and maybe some of you wondered... You know, this seems like a really long series. Well, we really believe all of God's word has been inspired and is useful and it's good um, so that the man and woman of God might be made complete. That, that, that this isn't void of, of truth, that this isn't void of influence or importance, but that all of it has been given so that you and I might be trained up in the ways of God. And so we're not skipping over anything. We're, we're, we're going into it. And at this point in our series, we are a little more onto the life of David than Saul. Uh, not that Saul is not there. It's not that Saul is not still living. It's not even that Saul is not still king. But it is the fact that uh, David seems to be the highlight. And David, um, his life can really be broken into four different phases. The first phase is, is the shepherding years. The second phase is the running and hiding years. The the third phase is the fighting years, and the fourth phase is the reigning as king years. And so we're still in that second phase. He's still running and hiding, and we've been watching this go on. And, and he's running and hiding for a reason. This guy, Saul, king of Israel, also father-in-law, is trying to kill him. And so I've shared before, hey, I'm, 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 my guess would be there are some interesting in-law dynamics in your family. But if any of your father-in-laws are trying to kill you, come and contact me. We'll get you help. Um, it does not need to be the case. 
And so David is, he's on the run, he's, he's hiding, and oftentimes these would be considered the desert years. Um, he finds himself in the deserts and caves and, and mountains and, and the desert. And so um, we, we can look at these moments of his life and think these were the years that he probably didn't want to reminisce on, um, that he could probably hope to soon forget. Uh, because as we've seen, Saul is so enraged towards this man, so jealous of his son-in-law for receiving praise, for, for being used by God, that, that nothing's going to stop him. Where we left off was um, there was this guy, Ahimelech. He was a priest in the, in the city of Nob, and he goes and he has Ahimelech killed. Saul has Ahimelech killed because he believes Ahimelech and David were conspiring to kill Saul. None of that was true. Right? He, he had developed this story in his mind and he was so convinced that this was the reality and that Ahimelech needed to be killed because he's part of the problem now. And so all of Ahimelech's family was also killed, all the livestock, except for one, Abiathar. And he runs and he gets to David, and this is the end of uh, 1 Samuel 22, but he gets to David and he says, hey, this is what happened. Saul's really coming after you. We, we got to continue the run. And David looks at him and he says, stay with me. Don't go running off into another place don't, you, because the same enemy that wants to kill me wants to kill you. And so my encouragement to us was that we all have that same enemy. The same enemy that wants to kill me wants to kill you. And so we need to unite. We're better together in that way. And so um, that was kind of where we left off. And today we're jumping in and we're going to continue to see how God provides for David along the way. Because even in that, at that point, in that moment, Saul was killing anyone in the way. God was providing for David. He brought him 400 troubled men. It wasn't like they were the best men. It wasn't like they were men of, you know, influence. They, it says the, the, the text in 1 Samuel 22 would tell you they were troubled. They, they, were, they had their own problems. And yet God has this unique way of bringing troubled people together to help move us forward. Right, and so when we look at this room, we're we're not discouraged in that way. You know, we we understand that all of us we all have some issues, and yet God has provided us each other in ways to help to help one another. So, um, not only did He bring him four hundred troubled men, but He also brought him uh, a prophet named Gad, and, and that was a way for God to communicate to David. And then uh, beyond that, Abiathar was spared, and he goes and he was another means of provision for David. And so now they're on the move again. Um, but I guess one of the questions I had as we were going to open up today's message, and my question for you is, has you, have you ever been in a place where you felt like you were being compelled, drawn, moved to go do something that didn't make a whole lot of sense? My guess would be yes. And I think about, you know, I've shared this before, I've told you before that my calling in ministry was not smooth pavement, easy sailing, like there were bumps and detours along the way and along the road. Um, when I felt called by God to, to go into vocational ministry, I remember I was 19 years old, it felt so real to me. Like I felt like I heard God so clearly understood that this was his will for me, and so I was moving, and I thought, I'm going to go be a pastor. I'm going to go into ministry. And if that's where you felt called, 
there are two primary places that you need to get involved in. And one of those is education, and the other one is experience. And so I go and I do this campus tour and in Wisconsin. I go to visit this Bible college, and I'm thinking, this is where God's going to send me. I, I, I hit it off with people in the dorms. I, I talked to some of the Bible uh, department, and I said, this is where God's leading me. And I go home after that campus visit. Every day I'm checking the mail. Like, did, did my acceptance letter come yet? And one day, there it was, the letter from the school. I grab it. I'm so excited. I open up the mail. We're declining your admittance into the school. And then I was still meeting with Jim Thompson at the time. We were reading through books. He says, hey, I'm going to set you up with an internship. I say, okay, if I'm not going to get the education, and maybe at least I can get the practicum. And so I think I'm going to go help with this church plan. I'm going to get all this experience, right? Because, hey, they need abled bodies. I got a key and I got told to go clean the church. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with serving in that way. But I, I anticipated more experience, more practical. I thought, I have this testimony. I mean, God called me. I was moved powerfully. I thought for sure that this was what I was supposed to go do. I was supposed to go up and preach at 19. I was a little bit ignorant to the, what reality was. Um, but I can still remember one time, it was a Friday night, I was in the, the bathroom of that church, and I remember thinking, God, I left what I was feeling called into. I, I, I wanted to pursue law enforcement, that's where I thought God was leading me into, and I said no to that because I believed you wanted me in ministry, and here's where I'm at, and I'm not getting experience, I'm not getting the education that's needed. Did I hear you correctly? Because that church plan ended up folding, it didn't last very long. And so then now I was back to what seemingly felt like, you know, square one. And I was working midnights at this uh, manufacturing shop in Shelby Township. And um, one night I was going into work and I received this text message from a friend. She worked at this camp down in Georgia. And she said, hey, you should come work at this camp. You, you, you would love it here. You would do great. I paid $100 a week. I was not guaranteed a job coming home. And from well-meaning family and friends, it was not the encouragement that I should go and take this step. Um, you're giving up a job for, what, a, a summer vacation? Like, that, that doesn't seem like a wise move on your part. And I went, and I'm telling you, God blessed me in extraordinary ways to help influence the next generation for Jesus Christ. I have stories that will stay with me for a lifetime because of that summer at that camp and watching God work and move right in front of your eyes to see people at the beginning of the week want nothing to do with Jesus, but by the end of the week when we're doing a gospel invitation are sobbing and asking for Jesus to be the Lord of their life. And so I got to see that and I came home and I said, okay, I need to be, I mean, I was so blessed by this experience. But if you would have asked me from the before the summer, it didn't seem like a fair trade-off. It didn't seem like this would have made a whole lot of sense to go and do, and that's what I want to encourage us with this morning through our text, is that the blessing of God oftentimes comes from unlikely places. Blessing from God often comes from unlikely places. Um, and our big idea this morning, like if you miss everything else, that I share, it'll be um, that it's an obedience to God where life is found. It's an obedience to God where life is found. I truly believe that's where, where David found his joy and his hope. 
Because again, David, you know this man on the run, he, he's running and he's hiding in caves and deserts. And yet it was in this time, in this 10 year span of time, the belief is that David wrote 10 Psalms in this course of 10 years. You know, he, he's got a hit song every year that he's on the run, right? Every year he's like, okay, I gotta write something fresh. But it's in this time where, where, we, where you would look at David's life, you would see him running in caves and deserts and you would think, certainly this is not the time where he's gonna find joy and hope in God. And yet in Psalm chapter 63, uh, verse one, he says this, Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. David found his only hope that only his soul could be satisfied by God and God alone. Right? David's going to teach us that joy. He's going to teach us how to find joy in dry deserts and dark caves. You know, this span of his life, he will teach you how you can find joy in God amidst dark caves and dry deserts. In this moment of, of season of life where it's nothing but wandering, wondering, and waiting. And I wonder if you've been there. I wonder if that's been you in your life where you find yourself wondering, wandering, and waiting. God, why is this happening? Where are you? And yet David's going to attribute this time of his life where he really experienced the love of God, the joy of God. And what that tells me then is that joy is not predicated on circumstances. There's something about joy that's deeper than everyday life. That David was clinging to a joy while he was running for his life. There's something deep then about Joy, and where it is, it's obedience to God. When you live in obedience to God, there's a joy that's fun. It doesn't mean life's always easy or fun, but you can have joy. Jesus encouraged that. He said, place your hope and joy in a place where moth and rust can't destroy. I mean, you put your hope and joy in anything in this side of, the, of eternity. It can decay, it can be destroyed, it can be taken from you. But if your joy and hope is found in the person of God, then you have great reason for joy. And so David on the run still is desiring to be protector. We're gonna see this in our text in um, verses two through four. But I want you to notice something as we look at these verses. David never moves, in, in, in our text here, he never moves outside of God's will. He is looking to live in obedience to God. Look at verse two. David asked the Lord, should I go and attack them? Yes, go and save Kilo, the Lord told him. But David's men said, we're afraid, uh, even here in Judah. We certainly don't want to go to Kilo to fight the whole Philistine army. So David asked the Lord again and again, and the Lord replied, go down to Kilo, for I will help you conquer the Philistines. And so um, notice from that text, it says that David was looking to hear from God. He was looking for yes and no answers. And so, uh, how, how is he doing that? How is he discerning God's will in this moment? Um, later in our text, you're going to see that Abiathar had with him the ephod. And so, the ephod was a vest that the priests would wear. It would have 12 stones on it. All those stones were represent, representations of the nation or the tribes of Israel. But he also had two objects. The, the ephod had two objects on it the umum and the thumim. 
I think I said those correctly. But those were a way a priest could discern God's yes or no. You see that in Exodus chapter 28. We don't necessarily get the full procedure of how it works, but yet we know that David is really sincerely, truly trying to hear from God. He wants to know, God, uh, should I go? Should I go and try and protect this, uh, these peoples from the Philistines? Yes, David, you should go. Go to Keilah. Go protect those people. Do you see what happens? Do you see what happens when David goes to his men and he says, hey, we're going. We're going to Keilah. I mean, we know that the Philistines are overriding those people, so let's go. Let's fight. Let's get involved. And David's men, do you see what they said in the text? We're afraid here. I mean, we're in Judah. We're a long ways away from But if we go there, that's a death sentence. That's trouble. We don't want to go. And I think... That messaging oftentimes comes from a good place. Because you could be quick to look at these people. You could be quick to quick at look at these men and say, hey, David's trying to discern from God. He's trying to hear from God. Why, why are you bringing up questions? Why are you bringing up doubts and concerns? And I guess where my sympathy comes into play is that I see these men and I, what I come to realize is these are real people with real threats and danger and real consequences. And yet... We have to, must, discern what is God saying to us, right? David, David doesn't fly off the handle at them because they're questioning whether or not this is God moving and working. And I, I truly believe that oftentimes, even in your and I, you know, in our lives, we might say, hey, we feel called to this end. We feel like God's moving us. And you might have people, family, friends, well-meaning, Come and bring up every concern and every doubt and every danger and every threat. And if we aren't careful, if we aren't careful, we will start believing that God's will for your life is void of danger. Somewhere along the lines in evangelicalism, we've bought this lie that it's God's will if it's safety and if it's comfortable and it's good and it feels okay and, and we're never inconvenienced. David says, I'm not, I'm not flying off the handle at you guys. Let me go again. Let me check with God. God, am I hearing you right here? I mean, these guys did bring up some valid concerns. I mean, we go there. We could be slaughtered. Should I go, God? Yeah, go. I, I know there's dangers. I know there's threats. But go. I'm going to be with you. Don't worry. And so David's men, they go. And they experience victory. Go figure. God on your side. Go figure. You win. Regardless of what happens when they go to Keilah, they win. You're following God, you win. So they experience victory. And Saul inevitably finds out. Right? He finds out that they're going to Keilah. That they're in Keilah. I mean, they didn't stand a chance. And so when you see this underdog come and win and experience victory in the battle... Word gets to Saul, and Saul says, verse 7, Saul says, good, I'm glad. He went to a city that's walled in, one way in, one way out. And in verse 7, he goes as far as to say he believes that God has given him this opportunity to go and kill David. He's twisted this and saying, this is God's will for me. I'm going to go take him out. He's in a walled city. I mean, how dumb did the guy have to be? And so the, he, he believed the, there was opportunity 
provided. And what I want to say is this. Don't confuse available opportunity with God's will. Just because it's available does not mean that that's where God is leading you towards. Just because it's a open door of many open doors doesn't mean, yeah, I should walk through this. I should do this. At no point do you ever see Saul trying to discern, hey, God, is this one of your enemies? Is this somebody I should be worried about? Is this somebody I should go take care of? He never does that. And if we aren't careful, I believe we have this light. If we aren't careful and we don't know what God's word says, we can um, be tempted to believe we'll fall for anything that sounds good or feels right. If we don't know what God's word says, we will be tempted to fall for anything that sounds good or feels right. But I'm telling you, that's not always God's will. That is not always God's will or always his plan. Saul never goes and seeks out God. He assumes because it feels good and right to him. And so David learns of Saul's plans. This is in uh, verses 9 through 12. But David learned of Saul's plans and told Abiathar the priest to bring the ephod and ask the Lord what he should do. Then David prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, I have heard that Saul is planning to come and destroy Keilah because I am here. Will the leaders of Keilah betray me to him? And will Saul actually come as I have heard? O Lord, God of Israel, please tell me. And the Lord said, he will come. And David asked, will the leaders of Keilah betray me and my men to Saul? And the Lord replied, yes, they will betray you. And so what I'm fascinated by in David's prayer is that he doesn't rely on what he's heard. You see that in verse 10? He says, hey God, I've heard this. I've heard that Saul and his men are, are going to come here and I'm going to be betrayed. Is that true? Because we hear things in a variety of ways. Even in our text, you see multiple ways that people hear things, right? People hear things through um, their peers. You see that in verse 3. You know, but David's men says, we're afraid. You know, there's problems there. So you can hear through your peers. You can hear through logic in verse 5, right? Um, we also see that we hear through circumstances, that's verse 7, and we hear through sources in verse 10. These are all ways that we hear and understand things, and yet, all of those things, whether where or whether or what you hear from, it needs to be filtered through God's word and through constant prayer. I mean, I mean you, you can hear from all various types of ways and, re, and, and places, but are you hearing and filtering through God's word in constant prayer. David's prayer is, God, could this actually be true? I mean, I just came because you told me to come. And when I came, I mean, we experienced victory in battle. You would think that these people now see David as this heroic-like figure, right? Why would they betray me? I mean, I was loyal to them. I came on their behalf. I came because you asked me to. Are these people gonna betray me? You see that? He begins to look for this yes and no answer from God. And as he begins to ask those questions, hey, God, are, are they coming? Are they going to betray me? God says, yes, David is coming, or, or Saul is coming, David. Saul is coming. David's like, okay, you, you missed the bigger part of that question. Are they coming to betray, are these people going to betray me, hand me over to Saul? Is that going to happen? Yes. 
Do you imagine hearing that? Like, God, this was your plan. This was your, I was obedient to you, and I'm going to go get betrayed? Don't think that God's plans and wills for your life don't end in, in, in difficulty. They don't have some level of trouble or danger attached to them. And so David and his men, they take off into the southern wilderness part of Israel. And I, I'd imagine this could feel like a punishment from God. I would imagine that while you're out in the wilderness and thinking, I mean, I, I, if I'm him, I'm, I'm thinking back to, and God called me to be king. I, I thought life was going to be great. If this is the destination, shouldn't it have been easy to get there? We oftentimes forget that there's a journey to a destination. And David experiences that. He really, really and truly experiences that as he's for a decade on the run, experiencing the desert. And this is his daily life while he's out in the wilderness. Verse 14. David now stayed in the strongholds of the wilderness and in the hill country of Ziph. Saul hunted him day after day, but God didn't let Saul find him. It's hunting season. Except it's not deer, it's not bear, it's David. David is the hunted, and every day, day after day, he is running for his life. I don't know if I'd sign up for that life. I don't know if I'd sign up, hey, take me out of influence, take me out of uh, opportunity to be king because I'm not looking to have my life taken from me over this. And yet David has been called by God to this end and God provides for him. Saul's never gonna find you. He's never gonna find you. Saul was unable to find David in the wilderness and in the desert. But I could still imagine, I could still think about where David was at. And I, think, I could think about, for me, I'd be making accusations. God, it feels like you've brought me into the woodshed. It feels like you're punishing me here. And I've, been no, I've done nothing but say yes to your callings. I've been following you. Why have you brought me here? But what David's going to share with us about this season of his life, it's not that God has brought him into the woodshed, but that he's brought him into the home. He's brought him into a place where he can express and share his love with David, and David's going to learn the joy and the love of God in the wilderness. Well, how do you know that? How, how do you know this is where David learns it? I want you to see Psalm chapter 63. The, the header in your Bible will say this. A Psalm of David regarding a time when David was in the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. How I will praise you. I'll praise you as long as I live. Lifting up my hands to you in prayer, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night because you are my helper. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. You're strong, right hand holds me securely, but those plotting to destroy me will come to ruin. They will go down into the depths of the earth. They will die by the sword and become the food of jackals, but the king will rejoice in God. All who trust in him will praise him, while liars will be silenced. 
I love what he says in verse seven. I sing for joy in the shadow of your wings. The shadow's a dark place, isn't it? He finds the love of God in the shadow of the wings of God. He finds joy and love in God in the darkest of places, in difficult times. He says so much so, he said, your steadfast love is better than life itself. And what he's saying, no matter what I'm facing out here, you're better. Good or bad, you're better. If I'm in prosperity or I'm in the cave, you're better. David finds his joy and hope and love in God. And though he does, you, maybe you're in here and you say, hey, I do do my quiet time. I, I, I do pray. I do listen to Caleb on the way to work. Right? You, you, you do all the right things. Go to Bible studies. And you say, I'm still at times, I find myself in the desert and I find it to be hard. I do believe God has called us, even though we know the love of God, we've experienced the love of God, I believe he has called us to encourage one another. While David is out in the desert, this is what happens in uh, verse 16. Jonathan went to find David and encourage him to stay strong in his faith. Don't be afraid, Jonathan reassured him. My father will never find you. You are going to be the king of Israel. I will be next to you as my father Saul is well aware. So the two of them renewed their solemn pact before the Lord. Then Jonathan returned home while David stayed in Horesh. One of those things will not come to fruition. Jonathan will not be standing at David's side while David is king. This will be the last time, the last moment that Jonathan and David ever have interaction with one another. Very shortly soon, Jonathan will go off into battle and he'll be killed. He'll be killed. And that's the real dangers, the real realities of fighting for one another, of encouraging one another. There's risk involved. There's sacrifice involved. Danger, I mean, the Christian life is not meant to be void of danger. If it's too comfortable, I'm wondering if you're doing it right. Honestly. And as... um. Jonathan comes to him and, and shares this, this truth, right, that don't lose faith, don't lose heart. Hold strong in the faith. Mine, I, I just felt really encouraged uh, or challenged to challenge us today as a people. Um, as we're closing out the message this morning, I want you to think of one individual, just one, that might be going through a hard and difficult time in your life. Just one. And my guess is if you know someone, anyone, you know someone that could use some encouragement. My encouragement would be for you to this week approach that individual and just share, I see what you're going through. I'm with you. I'm for you. If I can support you in any way possible, I want to be that for you, regardless of what it costs me, regardless of convenience, like, I so desperately want us as Christians to be inconvenienced. Because that means we're getting involved in the lives of people. We're, we're, that means we're truly living in community. Truly looking to love and serve one another. So that's my challenge for us this morning. That, that we would be willing to go and encourage someone to live in obedience 
and hold strong to the faith regardless of what they're going through. Or if you're that person in here that say, hey, I'm in that dry and weary land where there is no water. I want to encourage you this morning, to, as most lovingly as I can say it, please, please, please don't put your hope or joy in the circumstances of your life because they will disappoint you. Not one of us, not one of us is immune to getting a call or a text tomorrow that just ruins your joy and hope then if it's in your circumstances because their circumstances will inevitably change. We live in an ever-changing world where moth and rust destroy. And so my encouragement is for you to place your hope and joy in a place that's outside of this world in Jesus Christ. If you never have today, I want to encourage you into that. It's a relationship with Jesus. And if you're there and you say, hey, I've already, I've already given my life to Jesus, but I'm still in that dry and weary land, can I just be a Jonathan to you and encourage you to hold strong, have faith, don't give up, He's worth it. He'll sustain you. The enemy will not devour you. That's what the enemy aims to do. But but we have the lion slayer. We have the Goliath conqueror, and his name is Jesus. Jesus can be hope for your soul today, tomorrow, and forever. Let me pray for us.